You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to our couch. Take a seat. It's time for therapy. Movie therapy. I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture critic and co-author of How to Be Fine. And I'm Rafer Guzman, film critic for Newsday. In each episode of Movie Therapy, we offer up questionable advice and the finest television and movie recommendations for whatever ails you. Yes, indeed we do. As usual, our disclaimer, we are not real therapists, we are not real doctors, but we are real TV and movie critics. So Rafer, shall we get things started? Yes. Let's start off with a letter from Ziggy. I know. Is Ziggy like a half egg shape? Like, that's always how I think of Ziggy. Does that cartoon even exist anymore? (laughs) The the cartoon character? You're thinking of Ziggy Stardust because you love... Yes, because you love Bowie so much. The first thing I thought of was a bright orange mullet. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Well, whoever this Ziggy is and whatever Ziggy looks like, Ziggy writes, Dear Rafer and Kristen, I'm writing in with a problem that is so taboo to talk about that I just had to turn to movie therapy. I'm even nervous to tell my therapist because I don't want to seem like an asshole. In many ways, I love my life. I have good friends and a community who loves and cares about me. I feel supported by the people around me. I love my garden and my house and my cats. I have it pretty good. But for a while, I've been feeling generally frustrated and stuck, and I've been trying to figure out why. Today, I finally had a realization, and I can't stop thinking about it. I figured out that I'm frustrated because I'm just not intellectually challenged or matched by my friends or peers at work. Basically, I'm smarter than them. Now you see why I sound like an asshole and can't talk to my friends about this. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. Like I said, I love my friends and coworkers. They are supportive, kind, and thoughtful, and funny, and we have everything from fun nights to deep heart-to-hearts. What they don't have is the ability to keep up with me intellectually. When we watch smart, well-written TV shows, they don't get the jokes. For example, they did not get the good place at all. If we see a movie afterward, their only commentary is that they thought, quote, it was good. Whereas I want to discuss the nuances of the thing. I do have friends who meet this need for me, but they're not local, and I'm moving soon to go to graduate school anyway, so I don't really want to make new friends now. I want to enjoy the time I have left with these friends who I do love. I'm not sure exactly what will help with this problem, so please let me know whatever movie prescriptions you have to help me move through this situation in a way where I can both embrace and not minimize my own intelligence, 
but also appreciate my friends for the great qualities they bring into my life. Mm. Reefer, you must have this problem too. You're so smart. <laughs> you know me, Kristen. <laughs> no one can keep up with me. It's so rare. I really appreciate you taking the time to spend time with me, you're even welcome. though you're welcome. You're so smart, Rafer, and me not so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Kristen, I by 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 the tone in your voice, I take it that you're not feeling a great deal of empathy for Ziggy. Well, that's not it exactly. Ziggy, I mean, I, I will say this. I have I was briefly once kind of in your situation. Uh, I went to a lot of schools growing up, and I remember at one school I went to, the first girl that I really befriended at that school, uh, the teacher just, uh, there was a shy girl, and I was a new girl, and he was like, why don't you two work on this science project together? And I realized pretty early on that her gifts were not academic gifts. Her gifts were of kindness. Her gifts were, of you know... Um, empathy and so on, but her gifts were not necessarily in the arena of, you know, being able to deconstruct what the media was doing and how that was reflected within a historical context. She couldn't do a lot of these things. And so, Ziggy, I really shouldn't roll my eyes at you. I have actually been in that spot before. And again, I don't want to say anything negative about this person that, you know, I met in that one school. She was a real sweetheart. And, uh, but we just, in the long run, we didn't have what it you know, took to sustain a real friendship for more than a few months. I met other kids who I clicked with more. You know, she she ended up doing other things as well. And we went our separate directions. But I, I'm still, when I look back, I'm grateful that she was my first friend, even if it only lasted a few weeks or maybe a couple months. Uh, you know, I have, to be honest, I have been in that situation as well. But what has made a bigger impact on me, I think, is being in situations with people who were quite noticeably smarter than I was. And I can think of a couple just off the top of my head. Actually, most of my most of my good friends actually I would say are smarter than I am. Um, <laughs> but the two people I'm thinking of in particular were uh, a guy named Andrew Beckett, who has since gone on to become a very successful journalist in England. He's English and was uh, was over in America at journalism school. And then my friend Mark Rosen, who I went to college with, and um, or maybe I met him actually after college. Although he we went, we did both go to Berkeley. Now I can't I can't remember. But anyway, Mark Rosen and I became good friends after college, and he is now a university professor. He is an uh, I think he's he's an art history professor, and he specialized in graduate school in early Italian cartography. And Whoa. these were two people that were. I don't know if they were twice as smart as I was, but they were a good 60% smarter than me. And it was just, it was just, it was quite noticeable from the, from my first dealings with them. And they were both good friends to me. And the, and the, the feeling that I remember was gratitude. I remember thinking very grateful that these guys welcomed me into their uh, life as I tromped tromped around intellectually, breaking things um, and falling. And (laughs) what I also remember thinking is, really, there must be something else that they're responding to. You know what I mean? There must must be something else Mm -hmm. in me that they are responding to and that they appreciate. And so I'm going to have to sort of believe that and believe that I'm bringing something to the table and and doggone it, I must have something. And you do. You know what I mean? You do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a good point to make, Rafer, that a lot of us, you know, 
maybe we don't score 200 on an IQ test, but we're really good at something else, whether it's making people feel loved or maybe we have a hobby we're obsessed with where we can talk for miles about, you know, cooking or, right. for example, if you are a hardcore foodie, if you know all the Michelin restaurants, if you know what that particular spice is when you eat something, you're going to probably think I'm a dum-dum when I'm eating with you. I'm like, mmm, top ramen, yum. Right. <laughs> I don't really know what sophisticated food is and I frequently don't like sophisticated food. And but so, even that's expertise. That's not intelligence. That's not, you know what I'm saying? Exactly, exactly. And I guess my point there is Oftentimes, I think we confuse expertise with intelligence. I think that's true. And so whether it's food or whether it's your friend who does Italian cartography or whether it's people who deconstruct films as a hobby or for a living, those to a certain extent are hobbies and not necessarily a reflection of our intelligence either, right? Right, right. I think that's exactly right. Well, it's a uh, – yeah. Well, Kristen, what are you going to recommend to Ziggy? All right. Well, Ziggy, I first of all, I want to say I'm glad you have friends who scratch that intellectual itch of yours. Yes. I think it's important to have a variety of friends, all kinds of friends who we can do different things with, different activities. You know, some of our friends, like I have friends who I love to go on walks with, and I have other friends who only want to be sedentary with me. I have friends who love to go out and eat with me, and I have friends who want to, you know, play board games with me. So I think it's great to have different kinds of friends. And it sounds like, Ziggy, you already are partially there. So that's great. Right. But maybe you just need to appreciate more what each of those different kinds of friends brings to the table. And that is why I am recommending the NBC series, Friends. Well, of course, Kristen. Yes. We know Friends. <laughs> I love Friends. Friends, which ran on NBC for 10 years straight. It's been off the air for about 13 years. But uh, for a while there, it was must-see TV. It was the number one sitcom in America. Each of the cast members, there were six primary cast members, and they were each getting paid a million dollars an episode for a while there. It really was the show that took over the world. People loved Friends. Yep. And while it's no longer in its original run, it is syndicated everywhere. You can find it all the time, everywhere. Now, I'm going to give folks a summary of the show. I know you all know what it's about already. <laughs> but just in case, just in case you've been living under a rock this whole time, Friends centers on six friends living in New York City. And when we first meet them, they're in their mid to late 20s. And 10 seasons later, they're all pushing 40. <laughs> Along the way, we see them reach for their professional dreams, fall in and out of love often with each other. We see them make mistakes and support each other. And the characters include, in addition to uptight Monica, nerdy Ross, goofball Chandler, and spoiled but likable Rachel, uh, two other characters who might be categorized as kind of dumb. We have ditzy Phoebe and pretty but empty-headed Joey. Yes. And neither Phoebe nor Joey really seem to understand jokes as quickly as the other characters on the show. And they have their own kind of weird ways of doing things. For example, here is a clip of Phoebe and Rachel. Phoebe tried to teach Rachel the joys of wacky running. That's running with your arms and legs kind of flailing everywhere. And of course, Rachel, who's much more conventional, is embarrassed to be seen wacky running in the streets. <laughs> It's me. I saw you grab your running shoes this morning and sneak out. You lied so you could run by yourself. No, no, Phoebe, no. I was, no, you know what? I was, I was actually just checking to see if I could run, and I can. Please, Rachel, I am not an idiot. No, wait, Phoebe. (laughs) 
Well, Christian, that's funny. Not that long ago, my children fell in love with this series. I don't know how, but you know really? how- Yeah, you know how Were friends Were they even alive of, when it went off the air? No, of course, no. <laughs> I mean, there was this weird thing, uh, and it, this, it happened to my kids right while it was happening to everybody else's kids, is that somehow Gen Z kind of like mystifyingly got hooked on Friends. Like like how it got on their radar, I don't know, but it was just kids everywhere were into Friends, mine included. They just, they loved it to death. We watched one, two, sometimes three episodes a night, just plowed wow. through everything. But as it turns out, you chose, you chose the one episode that I missed. I have not seen, ah. I have not seen that episode. <laughs> you know, if I were, if I was out doing something, working, whatever, it was understood that it was okay for the kids to watch it without me. And I think that must've been one of the shows I missed. <laughs> Well, the reason I played this clip and the reason I'm recommending the show is because, yeah, let's admit it, Phoebe and Joey may not be the most likely to score high on an IQ test, but they are hands down the most fun, the happiest, the most likely to take you on an unexpected adventure because they're not caught up in, you know, intellectualizing stuff. They just want to have a good time and they want to love each other. And I also have to add here that Phoebe in particular happens to be way better at reading people than the rest of the friends. Yes. Even if she's less likely to read a book. So they all are intelligent in their own ways, even if they're not necessarily book smart. And uh, yeah, I, I hope that... Our letter writer, Ziggy, here will watch Friends and be reminded it takes all kinds. We don't need all of our friends to be Rhodes Scholars. Some of them, it's just fun to goof around with. And that's a great thing that we should be grateful for. I'll tell you one of my favorite moments from the Friends series is when Joey, I don't know if I'll get this entirely right, but Joey is saying something. And he, he says that something's a moo point. And <laughs> Rachel says, a what? And he says, a moo point. You know. It's it's it doesn't matter. It's a it's a cow's opinion. It's not important. It's moo. And I remember thinking, well, that's actually kind of brilliant. Like it it totally makes sense. It sort of makes more immediate sense than the word moot, which I never have understood what that meant. And like and it's funnier. And and I and I remember that like still. And I and when I think of that, it totally makes me laugh. Um, you know, it's a great example of how People who think differently can think of different things and maybe show you something that will be worth something to you, you know? Absolutely. I love that line. Oh, absolutely. But Rafer, what about you? I, I, I feel like I went more middle of the road, more obvious here by prescribing friends. What are you going to recommend to Ziggy? Well, you know me, Christian. I went for something a, a tiny bit heavy. Um, but I went for a movie called Charlie <gasps> from 1968. Do you know Charlie? Of course. We had to watch Charlie in seventh grade in school. Plus, we <laughs> had to read the book Flowers for Algernon. Yes. And I can't remember yes. which came first, the movie or the book. But we, um, yeah. I, I really remember that seventh grade year, and yes, I remember yes. that movie very well. But for those who are not familiar with Charlie, do you want to tell us all about it, Rafer? Yes, uh, the book came first. Uh, it was, a, it was a, I'm not sure if it was a book book or if it was a story, but that, that that came first, and then it was made into a television drama with Cliff Robertson, and then he went to reprise his role as Charlie in the feature film. And so he's uh, Robertson plays a man called Charlie Gordon, and he's uh, mentally impaired. He has the the mind and sort of the personality of like a six-year-old. He's a kind of a kid trapped in a 40, 45-year-old man's body. He's sweet. He's loving. He's friendly. He's good-hearted. And uh, he really wishes that he were smarter. 
And in fact, he's taking classes on how to read and write, but he's not making any progress. And he spells his name C-H-A-R-L-Y, which is how the title of the movie is spelled. There are two scientists that have developed a serum that increases intelligence in laboratory rats that they realize that the rats can finish the little maze faster. And they decide to make Charlie their first human guinea pig. And the serum works. And the reason the book was called uh, Flowers for Algernon is because one of the one of the uh, mice, I think maybe, uh, is named Algernon. And at first, Charlie can't do the maze faster than Algernon can, but then he does. He can beat Algernon. Then he learns to read. Then he learns to write. And then the unexpected happens, which is that Charlie doesn't just become smart. He becomes a genius. He can draw. He can paint. He's smarter than both of the scientists who invented the serum, and he knows it, and he starts to feel a little superior to them, although he also starts to fall in love with one of them, Dr. Kinian. It's played by Claire Bloom. Here's a clip. Mr. Gordon, how do you feel at the present moment about your development? Grateful, sir. You are happy about it? Yes, sir. Why? Because it has allowed me to see. To see what? The world. And what do you see in that world? Things as they are. And? And what they are becoming. Can you give me an example, Mr. Gordon? No, sir, you give me one. Modern science. Rampant technology. Conscience by computer. Modern art. Dispassionate draftsmen. Foreign policy. Brave new weapons. <laughs> Today's religion. Breachment by popularity poll. Standard of living. A TV in every room. <laughs> Education. A TV in every room. <laughs> why, why are you prescribing this movie, Rafer? Well, I am prescribing this because I think, A, intelligence is very relative I think, as I said, when we were first talking about this, I know what it's like to have people, friends who are smarter than me. And uh, what I'm grateful for is that they they didn't lord that over me. You know, it's not a great feeling uh, all the time to have a friend who is wildly more intelligent than you are. Um, You know, and I think one of the things about this film, as, as people out there may or may not know, is as the story progresses, Charlie begins to regress. His own intelligence starts to slip. And the last half of the film is a race against time. Can Charlie solve his own dilemma and come up with a new serum to save his intelligence before his intelligence disappears? And one of the things I like about this movie is that we don't usually think of intelligence as something that we can lose the way we say things like, well, you know, there are things we can lose. You know, you could, you could be disfigured. You could lose your looks. You could lose a leg. You could lose your hair. You can, you know, use, you know, parts of your health or your body that you can lose, things like that. Um, you don't usually think of intelligence as being something you can lose. But if you did think of it that way, you would start to realize that there are other things that make you, you, just like we've been saying here, you and I, Kristen, you know, uh, you know, are, are are you kind? Are you loyal? You know, are you the kind of person that would show up and help somebody if they needed something? You know, do do you like to have fun? Are you a good person? Um, you know, are you supportive? All these things. You're just, you're more than your intelligence. And I think that's kind of one of the things that this movie says. It's funny. I, I do want to say one thing right here. The only place I have found to see this movie is on YouTube. 
And I almost, mm. I almost didn't recommend it because the quality is not great. It's kind of a low resolution transfer, but I haven't been able to find it anywhere else. And it's sort of baffling because it was an Oscar winning film. Cliff Robertson got the Oscar for that role. And in the music is by uh, Ravi Shankar. I mean, it's like, it was a real movie. Yeah. The screenplay is by what's his face, Sterling Siliphant, the guy who did In the Heat of the Night. Like it was like it was a real movie and it's just kind of gone. You can't seem to really find it almost anywhere. So if you do see the YouTube version, which is the only way you can see it now, I would actually recommend watching it on a small screen because it will minimize some of the some of the uh the blur in it. It'll make the resolution, I think, look a little normal. If you blow it up on a on a television screen, I think it won't look that good. But it's such a great movie yeah. that I feel like it's almost worth watching kind of a little tiny YouTube version of it. So that's 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 my recommendation. I am going to just jump in also, Rafer, and say a lot of movies that may not be easy to find on streaming services are available at the library. They are. So if you're in the U.S., in particular, um, there are a number of apps for U.S. libraries that you might want to, you know, try those apps or just go to the library and see if you can check out one of their movies. I know the Central Library by us, Rafer, they have tens of thousands of movies, tens of thousands of them. You know, New York used to be, the New York library system used to be on Canopy, Mm K-A-N-O-P-Y, which was an app that started out to do this exact thing, that if you had a library card, wherever you were, you could, if that, if your library subscribed or had a partnership with Canopy, you could watch stuff for free on Canopy. Mm -hmm. And it was this amazing thing. And then for, for reasons unbeknownst to me, the New York library system opted out. And so I couldn't check Canopy to see if uh, Charlie was on there. Um, So maybe it is. You got to check out Libby. They're on Libby now, Rafer. Libby. Yeah, I use Libby. I didn't all know the time. that, Kristen. <laughs> Gee, but, you are smarter than I am. I knew it. <laughs> but every city is different. So everybody listening, um, you know, find out if you have Canopy, if you have Libby, find out what you have. And for those abroad, I'm sorry, I don't know what the different apps are for libraries right. abroad. Sorry about that. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, once again, our recommendations are from Kristen, friends, and from me, Charlie. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but before we do, do you need some movie therapy? Visit our website, raferandkristen.com, and fill out the contact form. You do not have to use your real name. For example, we don't know if Ziggy is really Ziggy's real name. Use whatever name you like. That's right, that's right. And if you haven't already, join the conversation on our Facebook community. That is facebook.com slash groups slash Rafer and Kristen. When we're back, we tackle a letter from somebody who wants to move back to her hometown, but is afraid of the baggage she left there. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. One particular argument, he ended up dislocating Ava's jaw... (gasps) 
Ava, she was such a tough cookie. Rather than cry or scream or anything like that, she was, or call the police or call the police like she should have. <laughs> exactly. What does she do? She takes an ashtray and she knocks him over the head and knocks him unconscious. That's how she fought back. She didn't know what to do, so she called Louis B. Mayer. I think I've killed Howard Hughes. What do I do? Revisit a time when the pictures were still big and everyone was ready for their close-up. When you want Tyrone Power instead of Tom Hardy, Jennifer Jones instead of Jennifer Lawrence, or Robert Mitchum rather than Robert Pattinson, then from beneath the Hollywood sign is the gin joint for you. Hey Matt, did you know that wombats poop cubes? Nope, never heard that before. Did you know the unicorn is the national animal of Scotland, Ken? I didn't know, nor do I care. Neil, did you know that Liechtenstein is the only doubly landlocked country in Europe? Jeff, isn't that an American pop artist? Well, actually, it's both. If you want to learn things like that and more, join us each week on Triviality, a pub trivia-style game show podcast where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Listen in each week to answer general knowledge trivia alongside exciting guests from around the world. And we're here, too. Join us every Tuesday for new hour-long episodes of Triviality, plus tons of extra themed content on everything from The Office and Lord of the Rings to science and geography. And sometimes we even do sports. Find us on all your preferred podcast apps and take part in the fun of playing bar trivia without the need to wear pants. Real mature, Jeff. Forget it, Neil. It's Triviality. We're back with our second letter of the week. Kristen, what is our second patient? have to say. All right. Molly writes, Dear Rafer and Kristen, I'm considering moving back to my hometown with my husband and daughter after over a decade away in order to be closer to family and friends. The only thing holding me back is my scorned high school lover that I wronged. He never left town and is now happily married with children, but I harbor so much guilt about how I treated him way back when. And on top of that, I was honestly just made out to be a much bigger villain than I really am by rumors and gossip. This guilt and shame has stuck with me and affected me throughout my adulthood, but I am ready to let it go and don't want it to hold me back from living out my best life. Well, yeah, join the club. I'm just haunted. Oh my God. I'm haunted by my past. You kidding? I've done so many bad things, Rafer. I mean, have you, Kristen? Bad things? I've tried my best to live. A kind, sweet, loving life, but I know I've screwed up. I like, oh, I know I have. I know I've hurt people's feelings yeah. without planning on it. I know I've hurt people's feelings because I chose this over that. You know, I I know I've screwed up, and I know that in an attempt to build alliances with certain people, especially when I was like an insecure teenager, yeah. that meant I betrayed other kids who I was friends with. Ugh, I did terrible things. I have no doubt about it. Um. But I I think that that's one of the interesting things about how our conversation about bullying works in America, that I think we kind of had this conversation where there are those who are bullies and then there are all the victims. But I think most of us are much more complicated and more complicit where we hurt people and don't realize we're hurting people. That could be. Yeah, I just think I, I think most of us, even when we're doing our best to be kind, can look back on our lives and say, you know what, I know I hurt people there. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that. I remember I had a, 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 a couple of bullies at school. There were three of them, in fact, if I remember. They were all brothers. And um, I think when my parents met at this, it was a school day, and their dad said something about, you know, in a kind of half joking way, 
about one of the brothers complaining that I had been bullying them. <gasps> and I remember, you know, that and every now and then as an adult, I like I look back and I go and I think, I wonder if that's true. Like I wonder if that's is there something I did? And then I think, no, there's nothing I did. And if I ever see that guy, <laughs> I'm gonna kill him. Um but I do know what you're saying. Uh we are all more complex and you know yes we have all we have certainly all screwed up in yeah. our lives so what are we going to recommend to molly here well i'm going to recommend something to uh for once in my life to lighten the mood a little bit uh for, <laughs> for molly <laughs> i'm going to recommend uh a very entertaining fluffy little comedy from 2013 by one of my favorite directors edgar wright and this is The World's End with Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Do you know it? Of course. And let's not forget Rosamund Pike is in this too. Yes, of course. An important part. An important part of why I'm recommending this film. So The World's End is the story of a guy named Gary. He's like 40, I think. That's the Simon Pegg character. The backstory here is that way back when, when he was a teenager, he and his friends embarked on this glorious pub crawl through their little town of Newton Haven. There were 12 bars but they never made it to the last one, which was called The World's End. And now, 23 years later, Gary is back and he's corralled his old friends together, some of them somewhat reluctantly, and they're going to try it again. And not everyone's a drinker anymore. Uh, Andy, played by Nick Frost, is sober after a, a drunk driving accident that changed his life, but they're going to do it. And damn it, they're going to make it to The World's End. And who shows up in the middle of all this but Sam, played by Rosamund Pike, who has a bit of a history with Gary. And here's a clip. We had ourselves a little idea. As you know. Yeah, we're going to go back to Newton Haven. Why? For some unfinished business. That's a joke, right? Five guys, 12 pubs, 50 pints. 60 pints. Oh, <laughs> steady on your fucking alky. I haven't had a drink for 16 years, Gary. You must be thirsty then. <sighs> But we can go back, see the guys, chew the fat, and it'll be just like it always was. Except this time, we're going to finish this thing once and for all. You have a very selective memory, Gary. Thanks. You remember the Friday nights. I remember the Monday mornings. Yeah, that's why we're going back on a Friday. Uh, why do you think none of us live in Newton Haven anymore? Uh -huh. Because it is a black hole. It's boring. It always was and it always will be. It's only boring because we're not there. It's pointless arguing with you. Exactly. So come. I'm picking everybody up from High Wycombe Station, Friday, 3 o'clock, sharp. Now, Rafer, you're going to have to refresh my memory here. Is this a zombie movie? Well, um, I'm going to not totally spoil what happens in this movie. Although, if you've seen the trailers, it might be kind of obvious. But you are, you are, you have the general idea correctly. Okay. Something very odd has happened to Newton Haven while Gary has been away. Um, and that is part of the fun, discovering what it is and what exactly has changed in their hometown. And I think the reason I'm recommending this is because this is a movie, as, as goofy and ridiculous as it is, it's a movie about the past and how it affects you and kind of haunts you as an adult. Um, you know, some of these feelings you have as a teenager really never go away. Mm -hmm. And some of these memories may not be quite the way you remember them. And, mm. and that's one thing I think that this movie does kind of well. It plays around with this idea of going home again. You know, um, like I said, Gary's hometown has changed in a very drastic way that I won't reveal. And as for the Sam character, the Rosamund Pike character, you know, 
again, I don't want to spoil too much because the tension there, the tension in the in the in the the relationship is part of the fun of the film between Gary and Sam. But I will just say that that what happens there might strike a chord with Molly, our listener. Molly might Molly might recognize a few things uh, about that relationship. And I just think this movie is it's light, it's silly, it's preposterous. I like the fact that the Gary character, Simon Pegg's character, uh, used to be a goth because I was a goth <laughs> and he shows up in a Sisters of Mercy t-shirt. And I just thought, oh, I had that t-shirt too. Uh, <laughs> but I, so I think it's one of these movies that's, that's, that's funny and kind of dippy, but it's got these deep themes that run underneath, that run underneath the story. And to me, I think that's kind of one of the best ways to deal with that kind of stuff. So that's why I recommend it. Oh, the world's end. I, I remember laughing and laughing during that movie. And if I remember correctly, I remember there are, are some good fight scenes, too. There are some very good fight scenes. Yes, yes, you are correct. <laughs> so, Kristen, what about you? All right. Well, all you Lisa Kudrow fans are going to be happy because this is the second recommendation this week where I am recommending a Lisa Kudrow project. Yeah. It is Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion from 1997. Yes. Now, Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion, it centers on two best friends named Romy and Michelle. They're living their best kind of slacker lives. They're single, they're semi-employed, and they've been friends ever since high school. They were not exactly popular in high school, but when they find out that their 10-year class reunion is about to happen, they decide to invent fake careers and dazzling lives for themselves so that they can impress all their former classmates, and that's when things get real. All I ever wanted was for people to think that we were better than we were in high school. And now we're just a stupid joke, just like we always were. No, Romy. Can I tell you the truth? I never knew that we weren't that great in high school. I mean, we always had so much fun together. I thought high school was a blast. And until you told me that our lives weren't good enough, I thought everything since high school was a blast. I think we should go back out there as ourselves and just have fun like we always do. The hell with everyone else. I don't think I can. Well, do you think you can stop being such a baby? God, I feel like I've been like chasing you all over this reunion. We have come all this way. Now we are going to enjoy ourselves whether you like it or not. Kristen? I've never seen this film. What? Rafer, you... I know, ridiculous, right? I am prescribing you and Anne a date night where you're going to watch Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. You're going to watch it and you're going to laugh. And here's the reason why. Because all of us, we all have baggage from our past. And in some cases, that baggage still bothers us as adults. I know some of mine does. But that doesn't mean we can't go back. We can go back, we can visit, we can even live there, and we might have a good time. We might connect with people we didn't realize were cool back in the day. And we might realize that all the things we thought we did wrong, nobody else remembers. We might realize that our memories are flawed in lots of ways. And as long as we're there with somebody who we love, who has our back, who doesn't judge us, and in the case of our letter writer here, it sounds like your spouse and child can be that for you. You'll be fine. You'll be totally fine if you go back now. And don't worry about other people judging you. 
worrying about other people judging you is just going to make you less happy. And Romy and Michelle prove that in Romy and Michelle's high school reunion. Well, I love Lisa Kudrow. I always I always wish that she had become a, a much bigger movie star because I always thought that she oh, was great. Yeah. I, I love so many movies she's been in. There's another movie she was in called Clock Watchers that I almost uh, prescribed recently as well. But she's just I terrific. I don't even know that one. Okay. It's the story of four girls who all work as temps and the life of a temp worker. It's really oh, fun. It sounds great. I, I used to be a temp too. I should, Me I should too. See all, I got to see these movies. <laughs> Uh, all right. So once again, our recommendations are from Kristen, Romy and Michelle's high school reunion, and for me, The World's End. All right. We're going to take another quick break. But before we do, thank you to everyone who continues to give us five stars in Apple Podcasts. For example, Love LaBeouf recently gave us five stars and wrote, as a working mom with a one and three-year-old, the hours between 7 and 9 p.m. are sacred. Thank you for recommending excellent movies so I don't have to waste time or brain cells picking them myself. Thanks also for the advice, which is rock solid, candid, and full of empathy. Well, that's very sweet. And that's a really good point. It's such a small window, man, that 7 to 9 p.m. Holy mackerel. It really is. There's just not much else you can do. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yes, uh, love LeBeouf, whatever your name means. I think uh, you've got, you raise a very good point, And I'm glad we could do uh, something nice for you. Do you think this letter is from Shia LaBeouf? Or someone who really loves Shia <laughs> LaBeouf? I know. I thought about that too. Hmm. Uh, you never know. Hmm. All right. Stay with us. When we're back, we'll have our What Should I Watch Next Letter of the Week. You can spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and get more time to actually play the games you love with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. You'll hear everything from Comic-Con coverage to the huge Diablo 4 launch. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. We're back with our What Should I Watch Next? Letter of the Week. Rafer, take it away. Okay, this one comes from Geraldine. Geraldine says, Dear Rafer and Kristen, I recently binged all of Hacks on HBO and found myself in awe of Jean Smart as the show's legendary comedian. She's hilarious on the show, but also vulnerable and flawed in the best, smartest, most fascinating way. I wish there were more well-written shows out there that showcase the comedic talents of women over 60. Maybe there are, and I just don't know them. Please tell me, what should I watch next? Oh, Geraldine, thank you so much for writing in about hacks. By the way, you're not the only person who has written in about hacks recently. Uh, for anybody who is not familiar with it, it is terrific Gene Smart plays somebody who has been working a residency in Vegas for many, 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 many years. Her bosses maybe want to end that residency. Meanwhile, uh, there is a younger kind of Gen Z person who comes in to uh, revive her career after she publicly shames herself. She's a comedy writer. So she uh, tries to work with Gene Smart's character. The two of them butt heads a lot. And it's incredibly funny. It's incredibly smart. And I'm just going to say something here. I cried watching the show. Oh, Kristen, you didn't. Of course I no, did. Come you on. know me. <laughs> I, I, I mean, come on. I bawled during every episode of Ted Lasso. Shows that are funny make me cry all the time. I can't help it. I can't help oh, it. It's a good thing. It's a good thing, Kristen. Crying, it's just my eyes 
feeling the love. That's all it is. Yeah. My eyes feel the love and it comes out in water. <laughs> but You and my wife, big criers, but I like that about you. But Rafer, what are you going to recommend to Geraldine? Well, I'm going to recommend a movie and I'm going a little bit out on a limb with this. It's a movie from last year called Let Them All Talk from Steven Soderbergh. Mm. Have you seen this, Kristen? No. And I think I've told you, I go back and forth on Soderbergh. Sometimes I, I like him and sometimes I'm like, oh, come on. Come on. I think you're, I think you're mostly back on Soderbergh. <laughs> I think you're much more back than forth. I've, I've noticed that about you. Yeah. Well, so this is uh, uh, a kind of a kind of comedy, uh, and it stars Meryl Streep as Alice Hughes. She is a Pulitzer Prize-winning author. She had a big famous book many years ago called You Always, You Never, and she's writing a new one, but nobody knows what it is, and what everybody is hoping is that it will be a sequel to the big award-winning book that she wrote before, and her agent, Karen, played by Gemma Chan, is really hoping that it'll be a sequel. So meantime, Alice is going to accept this big prize in England. She won't fly for uh, reasons that uh, will be revealed. So she takes a cruise instead. And for company, she invites the following people. Her old friend, Roberta, played by Candace Bergen. Her friend, Susan, played by Dan Wiest. Her nephew, played by Lucas Hedges. And what Alice doesn't know is that Karen, her agent, has snuck on board <gasps> because she's going to try to get a peek at that manuscript and she's going to use her nephew to do it. Here's a clip. Alice has a manuscript that's due really soon. Everyone at the agency is getting a bit nervous. I mean, I haven't seen a manuscript. Have you seen the manuscript? I have not seen a manuscript. For years now, she's been hinting that she's revisiting one of her characters. So I've booked her on the Queen Mary 2 with her two friends and her nephew. Here's to picking up the conversation where we left off. And here's to reconnecting the gang of three who we used to be. <laughs> Did you always talk like that? I'm going to start work on my manuscript. Swim at three, dinner at seven, back to work or bed or both. I'll probably work in bed. I kind of feel like I'm spending time with three almost like... Dinosaurs. No. <laughs> you believe Alice and her book determined your whole life? The consequences on my life of her actions were unacceptable. Rafer, the cast is incredible on this. Yes. I love the premise of it. Yes. Uh, I can't believe I don't know about this. Well, it really kind of came and went and um, did not make a, a really big splash. And I think, I know I'm really selling it here. Uh, most critics really didn't like it. <laughs> so, oh, God, Rafer. Uh, I'm just going to say, I there was a, a friend of mine, Neil Rosen. Uh, the great Neil Rosen has a, a show, Talking Pictures, and um, he's been doing it for years and years and years. Used to be on New York One. Now it's on PBS. And I go on it every now and then. And we had a, I think it was every section, every, every show he does, there's a critic's pick. And I think I may have chosen this for a critic's pick. Or maybe we're just under review. I can't remember, but I was the only person that liked it and everyone just mocked and shamed me for it. Um, it's like a panel show and all the other critics, you know, just couldn't believe I said anything nice about it. But here's what I want to say. First of all, I love Steven Soderbergh. I love these kind of, um, these movies he does that feel kind of unscripted. Or at least, I don't know if they really are unscripted or if they just seem unscripted. And they're kind of, they seem to be about nothing the girlfriend experience is like that. Full frontal is like that. I have a whole theory that these these three movies in particular are actually about how fame is the new money. 
but I won't get into that. We can talk about that later. That's my <laughs> own pet thing. That's for a different essay. But the main thing that I'm, the main reason I'm, I'm suggesting that is because you've got these three great actresses, Meryl Streep, Candace Bergen, and Diane Weist, and they're all quite funny. And the person, uh, even though Meryl Streep is great as she always is, the, the woman who really steals the show is Candace Bergen. Mm. She's this kind of horrible character uh, who's just like on the prowl for a rich guy and is making just no bones about it at all. And she's come on the trip on the cruise to be with her old friend, Alice. But she also hates Alice because she's positive, positive that Alice based the whole book on her and so she's just like this terrible grasping person and she's so funny and she can get a laugh with just the tiniest line, just like a no or a no thanks. Well, just like just crushes <laughs> it. She's so funny. I think a lot of critics just thought this was kind of a sort of a Woody Allen warm over kind of a nothing burger. I liked it. I think it's got a little more depth than you might originally think at first when you're watching it. And you've got these three great older women, I think all of whom are very funny. So if you're looking for women over 60 doing funny stuff, I think this is one place to go. And I think it's a movie you probably haven't seen, like most people. Oh, well, I am going to check it out. You know, you know, I love smart, funny, older ladies. So Indeed. I'll definitely check it out. I I'll pretend Steven Soderbergh didn't make it. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> all right, Christian, what have you got on tap for our listener? All right. I am prescribing our listener Filthy Rich, which is a TV show on Fox TV, and it's available on Hulu, and it is just campy and delicious. Do you know Filthy Rich, Rafer? I don't at all. I don't, even, I don't even recognize the title. All right. So let me tell you about it. Filthy Rich centers on the Monroes. They're a mega-rich Southern family famed for creating a successful Christian television network. And as they're on the cusp of launching a digital retail arm of the company, the family's patriarch, Eugene, dies in a plane crash, leaving his wife, Margaret, to take care of the family business. Complicating things even further is that in his will, Eugene reveals that he fathered three illegitimate children, <laughs> all with three different women who are now legally entitled to a share of his fortune. Here's a clip. Now, Ginger... Ginger, I know we've had a lot of salty words swirling around for the last few days since your uh, baptism. And you and the Reverend have certainly fanned the flames. I'm not a firefighter. I'm just a concerned mother. And I want this to be a teachable moment for everyone. Because I believe that there are very good people on both sides of this situation. <laughs> Why are you laughing, sweetie? By all means, carry on. Okay. Well, I want to start off by saying, I don't think you're a bad person. Thank you. But what you did, well, that hurt me. That hurt a lot of people. You turned our holiest sacrament into a wet t-shirt contest. And I'm just wondering, do you think that the 2.5 billion people who believe in Christ are dumb? No. Isn't it funny how Fox often has these kind of subversive shows. Oh, yes. Right? Absolutely. Isn't yeah. that odd? Yeah. <laughs> because they're news, not subversive at all. Not so subversive. No. Well, I don't, I don't know. I guess that's a matter of opinion, but okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, and why are you recommending this, uh, this show? All right. So, like Hacks, Filthy Rich is part drama and it's part comedy, and it stars a very talented woman over 60, Kim Cattrall. She is the family matriarch. Aha. And... She is so good at playing that Southern 
Christian media empire head who will say all the right things and do all the right things and get all of the money from her viewers. She will manipulate people. She'll quote the Bible. She'll act as though she's on the right side of history. But, you know, she's much more complicated than that. And I want to make clear also, she's not necessarily a villain either. Um on the surface, it might seem like she's a villain, but I think there's a lot more to her character than what she seems like on the surface, which is kind of the same with Jean Smart's character in Hacks. So, it, Would you say she's kind of a Tammy Faye character? I would say she is in a certain way, yeah. And there okay. is, by the way, going to be a dramatic version done soon of the documentary, The Eyes of Tammy Faye. So um, we'll have to review yes, that right. on a future episode because I, I love that documentary. Anywho, um, I really enjoy Filthy Rich. Uh, I'm not completely done watching the episodes available, but I have totally uh, laughed and felt the glee. It is so soapy. It is uh, kind of Southern Gothic-y. And it's just a fun look inside the world of Christian media, or at least the fictionalized version of Christian media. And that's Kim Cattrall from Sex and the City. Yes, it sure is. Yeah. It sure is. Who I miss. I miss. She's terrific in it. She is so good in it. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Okay, good. That sounds... Uh, okay, I'm, I know I ask this question all the time, Kristen. Kid-friendly, 11 and 13, or not so much? Mm, I don't know mm. if it is. There there are... <laughs> well, I'm not sure how you feel about your kids watching content with sex workers, and sex workers are definitely a part of the show. Ah, it kind of depends. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, I'll take, maybe I'll take an advanced look at it. I mean, I do let my kids watch some R-rated stuff, but it kind of depends on what the content is. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. all right. All right. I'll, I'll check that out. It does sound it does sound good. And I do like Kim Cattrall. Yeah. Okay. So once again, to recap our recommendations from Kristen, Filthy Rich on Fox TV and Hulu. And from me, Let Them All Talk. And that, Rafer and listeners, is it for this week's episode of Movie Therapy. That's it. We're done. We're all done. Boy. Thank you to everybody who wrote in this week. We so appreciate it. And thanks also to the Airwave Media Podcast Network, which we are a proud part of. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to their other fine shows like Food with Mark Bittman and The Projection Booth. Until next time, I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Rafer Guzman. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.